Maybe it's a classic, or maybe a flop. Has Katie seen it? She probably has not. She'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad. Hey, have you seen this? No, Katie hasn't seen that. Hi, I'm Katie, and if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, wait, you haven't seen this movie? Oh my god, you need to see this movie. I'd be very rich. So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. Spoilers are ahead, and that means that I might talk about things that will spoil the movie for you if you have not seen Pulp Fiction. I may be the only person in the world, though, who has not seen Pulp Fiction. So, you know, maybe this spoiler alert applies to no one but me. I am watching 1994's Crime Comedy. This is a crime comedy. I knew there was, like, crime in it. This is considered a comedy movie? What? Oh my God, also Pulp Fiction is two hours and 58 minutes long? Why? Jesus, why? Apparently Pulp Fiction is already coming in with the surprises. I know Uma Thurman's in it. I know Samuel L. Jackson is in this. I know John Travolta's in it. And I just saw Bruce Willis is in this? I have never seen Pulp Fiction. I know Quentin Tarantino directed this. And I will just say, I personally do not enjoy Quentin Tarantino. I know he's like one of those big time directors that everybody's like, oh my God, I love Quentin Tarantino movies. Guess who hasn't seen very many of them, but doesn't seem to enjoy them? It's me, Katie. He's kind of like Scorsese to me. I hate Scorsese films. I said it. Some of you might just be turning off this podcast right now. Scorsese is overrated and his movies suck. Okay, moving along, Quentin Tarantino directed this. I did like his movie, Inglorious Bastards. And now I'm going to go through his movie catalog. He's only directed like 13 films or 10 films or something like that. So I'm going to see which ones I've seen. I've seen Death Proof. Of all of the ones that I've seen, I've seen Death Proof. I've seen Inglorious Bastards. I've seen part of Kill Bill. And then I was like, I'm good. And I didn't finish it. I've seen Planet Terror. But did he direct that? Which one did he direct? He directed one of those Grindhouse movies. He did either Planet Terror or he did Death Proof. Or did he just present those? All right, I had to double check some things because Little Nicky was showing up in the list of things that Quentin Tarantino was involved in. And I was like, he did not direct that. So I looked up a list of what he has actually directed. And allegedly he had a cameo role in Little Nicky. He was not the director of Little Nicky, that hit Adam Sandler movie. But the movies that he has directed, I have seen Sin City. Oh, he's special guest directed on that? Who is this man? And why is he doing these things? I've seen Death Proof. I've seen Inglorious Bastards. Saw part of Kill Bill Volume 1 and then kind of went, eh, I'm okay. So, not a lot. I mean, maybe I'm not giving him a fair shake, but I've seen some of his movies. And I know that this movie is legitimately huge. It is quoted all the time. It is used in other things as spoofs or as homages to things from Pulp Fiction. I know there's that dance scene between Uma Thurman and John Travolta. And if you could see me now, I am shimmying. I know it's going to be violent. It's Quentin Tarantino. I'm expecting violence. I'm expecting crime. I'm expecting John Travolta to put his hand out and look around bewildered, which is one of my favorite out of context gifts nowadays. But am I 
to expect comedy? Apparently, this is listed as a crime comedy. Didn't take Tarantino as like, oh, I'm a com I'm a comedic filmmaker. Let's just say I'm going into Pulp Fiction with a little bit of a skeptical optimism or maybe just skepticism and cynicism and being like, I don't know that I'm going to like this. Let's hope it's a good three hours because here's another thing that will not manage my expectations. This movie has an 8.9 out of 10 from Internet Movie Database, a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 94% on Metacritic, and 92% of Google users like this movie. Is this movie like supposedly near perfection? I don't know what to expect. I feel like there's definitely an intrigue about this movie. I want to know what it's about, but I also feel like there's also that pull of like, oh, it's popular. I don't know that I want to see it, but Katie hasn't seen that. It's not about feeling like you're going against the grain of society. And maybe I'll love this movie and my whole opinion on Tarantino will change, but also maybe I will hate it. So I'm going to dive into Pulp Fiction and see if it's the cinematic gold that the internet is telling me it is. And I will report back. Pulp Fiction. Uh, all right. Trigger warning. Uh, this discussion will have some things about sexual assault, racism, and violence. So be aware as we dive into our discussion of Pulp Fiction. This movie is a cult classic. This movie is one that is ingrained in society. And even though I hadn't seen it, I know about Pulp Fiction. I know it's like some people's favorite movie. Let's just start. We're in the cafe. We open up in that sequence where there's the two bank robber type people who are talking about, hey, what's our next heist going to be? What, are, what? I guess it's not a heist. They're just robbing people. Uh, one of the things I noticed about this is uh, the girl, Yolanda, she gets a cup of coffee and then proceeds to put like five tablespoons of sugar in it. That's a lot. That's a lot of sugar in a coffee. I'm just going to throw that out there. There's a point where you just are drinking sugary liquid and you're not enjoying coffee. Um, but that's just a PSA more than anything. One of the things about Quentin Tarantino is uh, his cinematography is super weird. All right, a little bit about me. I went to school. Yeah, I was I was educated. I went to school, but I went to college and my original major was media theater arts. And I changed my major after that first year because I was in like MTA 102, which is like history of film and stuff like that. And also like industry standards, copyright law, all that. And at the end of the semester, they had four fairly like doing okay for themselves folks from Hollywood come and talk to us. Like people who had worked on music videos for Weezer and had worked on huge productions and stuff. All four of them sounded so depressed. All four of them were barely making any money. They were saying they were working paycheck to paycheck after being in the industry for 15 to 20 years. And they had worked on projects. They had actually been involved with things that were not just like Bill and Bob's indie movie about crocodiles. So it was something that made me kind of take a beat and go, do I really want to pursue four years of this? Which now as an adult, I kind of wish I did, but I also kind of am glad that I didn't. I ended up getting my degree in psychology and life just takes you on weird paths anyway. The whole point of this though, is that I wanted to either be an editor or a cinematographer. I do not like Quentin Tarantino's cinematography. So granted, I should look up if he was the one. He directed it, right? So I should look up who did the cinematography. It might not have been him. 
But all of the movies I've seen by Quentin Tarantino have the same feel. All right. I looked up the cinematographer. He uh, also did work on Quentin Tarantino's film Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try to say his name. It's Arzek Sekula. I'm so sorry for pronouncing your name wrong, but it says here is a cinematographer who's actually most famous for this film, Pulp Fiction, and Tarantino's previous Reservoir Dogs. And he played around a lot with unconventional framing and composition, I noticed. This movie is trying so hard to be an art house piece, and it's just like, can you, no, can you just take it for what it is? You have so many big budget actors in this. It's not an art house film. Just because you frame something different does not make it an art house film. You will soon discover I have a lot of problems with this movie. Here's the spoiler out the gate. You still don't know what my rating's gonna be. There's a lot of problems with this movie. So on top of the cinematography, back to the diner, there's a weird-ass kiss in the beginning between the two robbers. That kiss was weird. No one kisses like that. The opening sequence is just a little bit jarring to me. There's a thing in this movie that is kind of common in Tarantino, I believe, where he starts the movie with the end of the movie, which I called, by the way. As we started nearing the end, I'm like, oh, they're back in the diner and they're going to stick up the place and John Travolta and... Samuel L. Jackson are there. There's a thing that Mark and I say in our house. Oh, they're Tarantinoing it. Like if we're ever watching a TV show or a movie where they start the episode or the movie with the end of the movie, we're like, oh, they're doing the Tarantino. I don't know if he pioneered that, but it's just something that's become something we say in our house. So I guess, you know, Tarantino has made an impact in that way in my life. I was wrong. The movie is not two hours and 58 minutes. That must have been a director's cut. I don't know if I could have lasted through two hours and 58 minutes of this movie. The one that we watched was two and a half about. I think it was like two hours and 38 minutes, which is granted only 38 versus 58 minutes. But hey, it's a long movie, you know, and it feels like a long movie. Another thing I noticed, Harvey Weinstein was a producer on this. If you do not know who Harvey Weinstein is, I am not going to get into it, but uh, Google that. I mean, I know that he has touched a lot of movies and things. As I watched this, this movie's from 1994, I personally felt there was a ton of problematic things in this. I guess before even diving into the actual content of some of the movie and maybe some more of the lighthearted stuff, there was a lot of what I personally felt was racism and systemic racism that did not advance the story and did not need to be in the writing. The flagrant use of the N-word by white characters as well as just it, it made me uncomfortable to think that someone wrote this, Quentin Tarantino, and thought that this was okay. Movies sometimes can tell a really important story and they can help or hinder telling that story. And when it comes to things like this, where you're just using the N-word for no reason, and also they're, they were making slurs against um, people of all different races, and it didn't serve the story besides that these characters were just using them. There wasn't some underlying fight against racism or some, it was just there. And so I had a huge problem with that. And as I'm watching it, it just kept happening over and over and over again. And I'm like, I cannot be the only person that feels this way about it. There's a couple other things, but we will talk about that later. I'm sorry if this is not more of like an upbeat, Katie hasn't seen that. I am just kind of not, really sure why this movie is as popular as it is. And maybe some of you can enlighten me. 
Uh, I know that at the time it was like, oh, my God, hitmen talking about burgers is what my husband told me. Like, that was the thing. Like, hitmen talking about stuff that's just normal, like burgers. And I'm like, yeah, but what about all this other stuff? John Travolta's hair looked kind of greasy, but he's got a killer widow's peak. And that was something I noticed. So there's that. The whole story of this movie is so convoluted and layered. No, layered's the wrong word. Thinly threaded together. There are like five different movies in this that he just kind of slapped together and said, yup, that works. Kinda. There's literally sections of the movie that I was like, okay, where is this going to tie in later? It didn't really do a good job of telling a story. Though again, I think he was trying real hard to make this an art house piece or a grind house. I don't know, man. He did that whole grind house thing where he directed Death Proof. And then was it Eli Roth who did Planet Terror? I don't know if he was just trying to hit on a specific feeling for this movie. Gritty. Gritty and shock value is the best way to describe this. But it's not the kind of grit that you go, oh, that's good. Or the shock value where you go, oh, damn, I feel like some kind of way about this. It's a shock value of, I'm a, I don't feel good in my gut about this. And trust me, I'm always down for a good movie with a good story. And if it dives into really dark and terrible things, I'm honestly very here for it. I watch a lot of things that are maybe... They're not feel good. I'm not the type of person who's like, I need to watch the next uh, comedy that comes out. I can't handle these heavier topics. I generally search that kind of stuff out. So in theory, this movie doesn't affect me with all the chain smoking or the drugs or the violence. What got me was the commentary or lack thereof. I will say a misconception I had about this movie is I always thought Samuel L. Jackson and... John Travolta's characters were detectives. I was very incorrect about that, okay? I was very wrong. Um, They were not detectives at all. As I moved through this movie, there are some things that I don't know if the sound editing was just weird, but I don't know if the Foley artists just went to town. Everything was so weirdly loud, from their clothing to the chewing, which I I don't know. As I get older, I realize I don't enjoy hearing people chew. I mean, I don't know if that anybody's out there like, ooh, that's good. I like the chewing sounds. There's just a lot of sounds that just overtook scenes. And some of the, there was like one scene where John Travolta and Samuel Jackson are walking down an apartment hallway and it sounded like whoever was holding the boom microphone was just dragging it along the wall as they were recording. And it was like five or seven feet away. So, I mean, there was a little bit about this movie from an editing perspective that was a bit distracting. I'd also like to point out that this movie is cursing extreme, uh, which means if you can put a or a mother anywhere, it was added. Again, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I curse a lot in my real life, which I don't know if people believe or not, um, but it it was like, you know, I don't know if Quentin, I, I would really like to know the word count for how many are in this movie. Let me see if someone's counted. All right. I mean, I don't know how accurate this is. There is a trivia page that says that there are 265 in Pulp Fiction. That's a lot. That's a lot of But you know what? I, I, there's just a lot of cursing in this movie. And I just thought it was interesting because like most movies have like a peppered in something or other here and there. This one was just like every other word. And that was fine. It was just something I was like, huh, that's a lot of curse words. There's also a part where John Travolta's character takes out Mia, played by Uma Thurman, and they go to that, I don't know what that restaurant's called, that like retro diner type place. And they're in the car 
And she says something about being a square or something, and then she draws a square, and a square is drawn on the screen. Why? It took me out of it. I was like, what? Why? What is... It just took me out of it and made me kind of go, why Why is there a square on the screen? She could have just easily drawn a square and I would have gotten it. But they did like a physical like overlay of a square that she drew. That's great and all for like a YouTube video. It just felt weird in Pulp Fiction because it never happened again. Like it wasn't like they did a lot of that in this movie. It was just that one moment. So that one was just a more bewilderment for me. I was like, I don't know. Okay, we got to talk about it. There are rumors that Quentin Tarantino loves feet. And I did a foot count. Also, the whole discussion about foot massages for literally the first half of the movie. And then I did a foot count. And in the first half of the movie, there's about four instances of feet related things. And I just thought that was interesting. And I'm just going to leave that there. There's that point where Mia takes the heroin that Vincent has and then she like dies and then they go to the drug dealer's house and she gets stabbed in the chest with adrenaline and she survives. The OD stuff was stressful mostly because they were arguing the entire time. This movie is lab labeled as a comedy but the comedy was peppered in there but this movie is something else. This movie is something different. And I think maybe that's why it sticks out because you can't really make heads or tails of it. And I think it leans very heavily on confusion and rambling. The titles throughout were weird where they're like, this is the next part of the story. And it's like, again, you want to be an art house. This is also not the 1920s. It just felt to me that his story was not tightly knit together and it couldn't tell the story on its own. So he had to put in title cards to kind of explain the next part of it. And I was waiting at the end. I'm like, tie it all together, man. Tie it all together. And it's just not. It's just never tied together. Kudos to the soundtrack. The soundtrack's actually pretty damn good. I will say I enjoyed the musical choices in this movie. The movie's very slow and there's a lot of lingering shots. So I feel like that alone, there's a lot of lingering shots. And I feel like if they just took out some of those, that would have saved us about 40 minutes of, of airtime, which would have been nice for me because I was not one of those people enthralled and in love with whatever was happening. It just felt like a lot of movies in one and it was very misguided. There's that whole B plot with Bruce Willis. I also never noticed this about Bruce Willis and I love Bruce Willis, but he mumbles. Like he is the king of mumble, like mumblecore. I never realized how quietly he talks in movies. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. And you know, I'm gonna go fight the guy and like, I'm um, you know, it's just weird that I never realized that in Fifth Element and all these other movies that I like that he's in, he's a mumble man. He's a mumble guy. Anyway, Bruce Willis is a fighter. Starts off this whole B-plot where he's supposed to throw a fight. He doesn't throw a fight. And then they're on the run. And by they, apparently he's got a lady who's just in a hotel room waiting to take off. But there's a watch he needs. Oh, the watch. The watch that was kept up the butt of his dad and his dad's friend played by Christopher Walken that was delivered to him as a child. Yeah, that's kind of like a, oh, that's kind of funny. And it's Christopher Walken. That's all I'll really say about that. I mean, it, it it's a memorable moment from the movie, but his girlfriend, his wife, Bruce Willis's significant other did not pack the watch. So he had to go back to his apartment while they're on the run and John Travolta's at the apartment, and so Bruce Willis just kills him. And then, by happenstance, he's leaving his apartment, and he comes to a crosswalk where Marcellus, 
the guy he was supposed to throw the fight for and he seems like a pretty big ringleader mob boss kind of guy that john travolta's character and samuel jackson's character also work for but what are the chances that he ends up at an intersection where he's crossing the street with donuts and then there's a whole accident and then they're running and they end up in a pawn shop that has a confederate flag on the wall by the way okay all right this then goes down a plot of the pawn shop leader stopping the fight between Marcellus and Bruce Willis's character. I should have probably learned the characters from this movie. Butch, excuse me. But I had some other problems with it that I wasn't as worried about learning the names of the characters. Pawn shop guy stops the fight, but then all of a sudden Marcellus and Butch are tied up in a basement and there's a gimp in another locked room. And there's the guy who's from The Mask, who plays the bad guy in The Mask, by the way. And if you don't know what a gimp is, this is one of the more mature Katie hasn't seen that. Uh, so I apologize if this is too much. But you know what? Pulp Fiction's a little too much. A gimp is a sexual fetish that someone dresses in a rubber mask or a bodysuit. And then other things happen, okay? I'm gonna let you traverse the internet on your own. Not, no, no shame, no king shaming here. My problem with this sequence is that it didn't need to happen. A chance encounter of going into a trade shop where these two characters are fighting and then this guy decides that I'm going to take these two captive because they're clearly bad men. But a chance encounter that they end up in a basement tied up and then they do eeny meeny miny mo, and Marcellus gets picked. And at this point, should be clear, Marcellus wants Butch dead because Butch did not throw the fight and he's running with the money Marcellus gave him. Marcellus is taken into a back room, trigger warning, and he's raped. Now, instead of Butch just running off after he undoes the duct tape on his wrist, he finds a katana upstairs and he comes down and he saves Marcellus, which then kind of bridges that gap of, oh, we're even now. It's also the right thing to do. But my issue with this is it didn't make sense in the movie. It didn't need to happen. And it's lazy writing with shock value. Instead of it being some sort of coherent train of thought that resolves their issues, they went down a route of rape and shock value of characters that didn't even make sense to fit in there. Essentially, is California just full of absolutely awful people? It's like, I feel like Quentin Tarantino didn't really know how to resolve this thing. So he's like, ooh, what will be very visceral and will stick with people? It's not the way to do it, in my opinion. I'm not obviously any sort of authority on movie making, but I also think we should expect more from people. And just because you can do something, it should have to have a reason behind it. And it should be more than just a loosely tied up thing that you need to figure out how to end in a movie. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way, but it didn't feel like it fit. It didn't feel coherent. It felt like it was thrown in there because it could be in there. Again, it comes down to the whole racism in this movie as well as this rape scene. Instead of taking the time to write a story that might have more meaning, it was based on what can I do to just literally make people go, oh my god. It didn't serve a purpose. I'm honestly kind of like, how did all these actors read this script and go, yeah. Granted, I know that it's a paycheck. But also, isn't there a responsibility that we all have as a society to tell stories that actually make sense? And it's not just there to be there. And I really feel like this movie is just there. 
I don't feel like they advanced the discussion on racism. I don't feel like they advanced a discussion on sexual assault. Granted, maybe movies sh shouldn't always have to do that. But I walked away from this movie feeling bad. And I walked away from this movie feeling like this is irresponsible. So anything that may have been redeeming about this movie is completely washed away for me about what they chose to do. I don't know if I just view things a little bit differently or I just expect more from things, but I know our world is filled with violence for the sake of violence and that bad things happen and sometimes there's no reason for it. But this movie didn't convey that to me. There's only so many chance encounters you can have before it becomes something that's done to shock instead of tell a story or bring a voice to something that needs it. So then he did the whole Tarantinoing it, pulled it all back to the beginning. This movie would not end, by the way. It was like one of those movies that had like probably at least 15 endings, but he's like, no, but wait, there's more. And so they kill Phil Lamar's character in the back of the car. And by they, I mean Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta's characters. And guess who put himself at the end of the movie? Oh, damn. Is it Quentin Tarantino? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's in it. And he's at the end. And this was one of the first parts as well. I had issues with some of the dialogue throughout the whole movie. And then this is where he dropped the N-word about four times. This movie just kind of expresses narcissism to an extreme. I don't know if I'm gonna, I, I feel very passionately about how I feel about this movie. 1994 was a different time. That was 26 years ago. So I understand that we've evolved as a society in those 26 years. And I have a hard time with Quentin Tarantino because this is what I've seen from him. And this is what I continue to see from him. Granted, there might be some new movies of his that I could watch. Maybe he has evolved in those 26 years. And on Wikipedia, he is known as an American film director, screenwriter, producer, and actor. His films are characterized by non-linear storylines, beautiful scenes of violence, extended scenes of dialogue, ensemble casts, and references to popular culture. That's fine. Like, we're all allowed to make art the way that we want. The movie is weird. It's kind of slow. I'm all about people trying different things and doing different things. Movies are allowed to be weird. Movies are allowed to feel different because everything can become cookie cutter blockbuster madness. And it's like, okay, I don't need another car that can transform itself into a robot. I'm good. We don't need seven of those. But I also like there to be a little bit of a purpose to things. I know that that might just be a personal preference. There were some fun things in this movie. The dialogue between John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, that was pretty fun. I actually really liked Samuel L. Jackson's character. I got to see one of my favorite gifts come to life when John Travolta wanders around Mia's house, confused as to where to talk into the intercom. I can appreciate the whole what's in the suitcase kind of mystery. I can appreciate moments of it, but I also think we should reevaluate it as a whole. I think that it fosters a bigger discussion than just the twist dance at the diner, the discussion about burgers, the funny Christopher Walken story. I went into this movie expecting something much different and I walked away feeling kind of angry, to be honest. I was hoping this was going to be a super fun episode of like, oh my God, I watched Pulp Fiction. I've heard about it so much. It's this, 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 and this. And I, I walked away from it going like, there's some stuff I don't feel right not addressing and just not talking about. And so I appreciate if you've made it this far into the podcast. I think it's going to be one of the longer episodes. We'll see once I edit this down. But my rating, I will give it one out of 10 gourmet coffees because I like the soundtrack. And I did enjoy 
moments, glimmers of things in it. But it was the movie that wouldn't end. And there was also stuff in it that I just want, damn, can people please hold other people accountable for doing something that makes things worse? And that's what I'm saying. I'm sorry if you love Pulp Fiction. You don't know, no, I'm not. If you love Pulp Fiction, the thing about movies is there are some things I will love and things that you will hate. I freaking love the Mummy movie, the one with Brendan Fraser. That is something I grew up with. It's nostalgic. I know the CGI doesn't hold up great. I know that there are things in it that are kind of campy. I loved ancient Egypt growing up and that movie just made me happy. I watched it so much as a kid and as an adult, it's like a comfort movie to me. I love The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. And I know that someone else who's listening to this podcast might hate that movie. The great thing about things like this is that we can find what we love and what we like. Movies are magic and movies can really move us. They can make us cry. They can make us laugh. They can make us feel some kind of way. And maybe this movie I decided to watch because it started a discussion within myself and for this podcast today. So I'm going to look at the good from it all. And if you liked Pulp Fiction or if you hated Pulp Fiction, please tell me why. Please tweet at me at PlayKatiePlay on Twitter. Come to my Twitch stream at Katie Peters Plays and say, hey, I liked Pulp Fiction because XYZ or tweet it at me. I really want to know. I'd love to have kind of a discussion about this movie. Maybe get some different angles and see how other people felt. Because if anything, it opens up a great discussion and I think that's important as well. And maybe in some sneaky way, Quentin Tarantino knew that, but I doubt it. Thank you all for listening to Katie Hasn't Seen That. I will have another episode for you very soon. I guess I forgot to say this. I'm not angry. Y'all made me watch this. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> uh, but I, I am sending you all lots of good. Be good to one another. And I will see you in the next episode. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash katiepetersplays. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at playkatieplay and on Instagram at katiepetersplays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It. Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Until next time, keep your popcorn warm for me.